Do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Here we go. My name's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 657. Well, listen to Zen Parenting Radio because you'll feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, we once again have an interview. We've been doing a lot of interviews lately, and Kathy and I say no to most interview asks, but when somebody special shows up, we say yes. And today is one of those days. I'm going to introduce our guest, Dana Suskind. She's a doctor. She's an MD. She's founder and co-director of the TMW Center for Early Learning and Public Health, director of the Pediatric Cochlear, 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 thank you, implant program and professor of surgery and pediatrics at the University of Chicago. Dr. Suskin is the author of over 45 scientific publications and the book 30 Million Words, Building a Child's Brain. She's also an advisor to Hillary Clinton's Too Small to Fail initiative, and her work has been profiled by numerous media outlets, including the New York Times, The Economist, Forbes, NPR, and Freakonomics. Dr. Dana Suskin, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Hold on. I need Although to... you didn't mention my newest book. Well, yeah. we're, well we're about to. Oh. <laughs> I know, no, like, wh- why she's here. Um, but I need to give you some applause first. Though. There we go. That's our version oh. of applause. What is the name of this book that we're going to be talking about today, Dana? It is called Parent Nation, Unlocking Every Child's Potential, Fulfilling Society's Promise. Awesome. Well, you are in the middle of a big old speaker's tour, and we're so glad that you took time to spend with us. Full disclosure, I did not read the book. I think Kathy read the book. So I'll be like the ignorant person who's never heard of it, even though I did do a little research on you this morning. I watched a WGN thing that you did last week, and you know we were just talking about how hard it is to talk about a book and sound bites. So I'm just so glad that we have some time to do it. Um, so Kathy, why don't you start? Well, I was just telling Dana, and I'm just so glad she's here because over the last week, I feel like with everything you know going on in our country politically and all these choices that are being made or legislatively being made, that I've been really struggling with feeling alone. Um, which, which when I, even when I say that out loud, like part of my brain's like, oh, that's silly, Kathy, you're not. There's all sorts of people who are concerned about making sure that we are taking care of families, taking care of mothers, um, taking care of, um, our communities. I mean, this is, you know, this is not just about one person. This is about all of us. And there was, there's something that in your book that's been so helpful is that you, really talk about giving parents grace, like, you know, that we we feel like this is all on us, that any failing is a failing of our own. And can you, you know, this is really, we're going to get deeper into this, but can you give kind of an overview of how parents can see their role in society and not take it all on their shoulders as if any kind of challenge is because they did something wrong? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that is one of the fundamental ideas of the book is that in this country, especially in this country, we have convinced parents, especially mothers, uh, through this sort of idea of American individualism, that parenting is a go it alone sort of situation. And that to expect or demand support of any type is admitting a failing. And that because it's all on us, I've heard from parent after parent from all different backgrounds, this feeling of, you know, one mother said, you know, I felt like I was failing in all parts of my life, Hmm. rather than saying and acknowledging that so much of that feeling is because of the lack of societal support. And we talk a big game about parental choice, but we really give people no choice. So, you know, Acknowledge, not just acknowledging that feeling, but starting to reframe this idea of parenting as not just, you know, having a child is not like having a puppy. You are raising the next generation of citizens and starting to see your role as critical. And expecting support is critical to this important work that you're doing. So just a total reframe is so, so important. And I can even tell, well, uh, I keep, I'll keep going on and on, but 
I have ideas on how we need to reframe this so that we start really believing it, not just saying it. So, well, and that's what I want to know. So I'll start with this and then I want to hear your reframes because what Todd and I talk about on the show usually is how parents can, you know, um, support themselves in like taking care of themselves and being practicing mindfulness and having a a sense of self-awareness. You heard at the very beginning, you know, the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. And we mean that in a very like, um, not just in if you are mindful, everything's going to be great, but that it's a starting point to be able to see what you need and then to ask for what you need rather than be stuck in this hole of thinking that you are the only one who can do it. And if you don't do it, you're failing. So give us like, you know, I'm going to go right back to what you were just saying. What are some of your ideas for reframing this? So parents don't feel like if, you know, oh, if they were self-aware, everything would be great. Cause that's not the case. That's a starting point. Absolutely. And I'll even bring, because obviously I'm a research scientist as well, that even in the science that we're doing, we are finding that when you give parents, especially mothers, sort of um, scenarios where they think about trying to fill the gap of getting their child to the pediatrician when they have no time off or finding high quality childcare, just even thinking about these scenarios without support raises their stress levels immeasurably and makes them feel it's called loss of mastery. They, it makes them feel like they have no locus of control. And so some of my thinking is starting to understand the role that societal, the current societal situation, how it plays into how we're feeling. So we can start naming it and not just, I mean, obviously the end goal is start voting and advocating in the way. So we change the societal constructs, but before we can do that, we have to be able to acknowledge it and shift it and start seeing other parents. You know, I think this feeling of, um, guilt feeling alone is because we've been convinced that you know unless you do it on your do it well and do it on your own you're a failure so this shame sort of isolates us and the more we can bring light onto this issue and start naming who the societal constructs which we can go into are are to blame that's the only way we're going to move everything forward from a zen from a mindfulness standpoint to changing society standpoint so it sounds like uh, without knowing much about the book and i'm just kind of learning as i'm listening to you it if i can sum it up into a sentence is i think a lot of let's say for now moms um take most of the burden on and have to do it all by themselves with the support of a partner or whatever. And what sounds like what you're saying is it takes a village and we don't really have a societal expectation that it actually does take a village. It's up to that one person or those two people as caregivers. Um, And then, so that's more of a comment. But my question is, is most of your focus about like the zero through five ages or is it, is it throughout all of it? So, so, you know, the idea of building a parent nation, a nation that really values the labor and love of parents is not a zero to five. Mm-hmm. It's throughout the, the life course of being a parent. But the truth is, is that those first five years of life, when, you know, we have almost zero societal supports, when parents and children could most use it, is my focus because, you know, my that's, that's my work. And I think that this idea of healthy brain development as a pathway forward to understand what we need to do to better support parents will support parents throughout the life course, but really will help when we need it most because those first three to five years of life are just Mm -hmm. tough. And, you know, Dana, since you brought that up, like, let's go back a little bit into your history. Like, you know, Todd read your bio, but more specifically, you were working with parents as far as, um, with language. So, and, and that was what your first book was about. So will you give us like kind of a synopsis of your work and, and, you know, what you learned about what children need as far as when it comes to language? Absolutely. Should I tell a little bit about how I got into it as well? Yeah. Like Um, I love your story. Yeah. 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 No. So I am a pediatric surgeon, a pediatric cochlear implant surgeon specifically. And I, through implementing, uh, uh, hold on one second. I'm so sorry. Sure. No problem. Recording stopped. 
Yes. Don't worry about it. When you have lots of people at the house, it gets a little loud. Um, so, so my my background is is that I'm a pediatric uh, cochlear implant surgeon. Um, I provide through an amazing piece of technology the ability for children born deaf, the ability to hear, to talk, to mainstream. And I always say that my work really started in the operating room. I started seeing huge differences in outcomes of my patients after after implantation, with some being able to talk and learn others barely being able to communicate. Mm. And it was a really incredibly painful difference to see. And it was based on that and trying to figure out why this was, and more importantly, what I could do about it that took me on this, this crazy journey. Um, one that I learned that the first three years of life are critical for healthy brain development and that parents and caregivers through their talk and interaction, that nurturing interaction, literally build a child's brain. You know, the 85% of physical brain development that happens during that time, that is built through talk and interaction. So, and I found that that this was meaningful, not just for children with hearing loss, but all children. And so through the center that I co-direct, the TMW Center for Early Learning and Public Health, we really develop um, evidence-based programs to help parents parents uh, really understand the power of their talk and interaction. And um, yeah, so, and it was really what led to my first book, 30 Million Words, Building a Child's Brain, because I wanted all parents to know this powerful science. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, is that as I was going along my journey, working with incredible parents across the South side of Chicago, often living in impoverished neighborhoods, what was so clear was that barrier after barrier after barrier was put, being put in front of parents, that it was great to be able to show the powerful brain science, which is still very true, right? The talk builds a child's brain, but unless we have a society that truly supports parents, it is, you know, it is, as important as talk and interaction because it either allows for it to occur or it doesn't. Mm -hmm. So that is how I got to this current book, Parent Nation, because what is so clear in this country is that we basically in the most important time period, leave parents on their own. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, it's one of my, I, I'm a social worker and it's one of my favorite parts of being a social worker is seeing, I mean, I mean, it's such a honor to see, to get into people's lives and to see the wide perspective of how so many different things affect their day-to-day -day experience. If it be where they live, their neighborhood, their workplace, you know, the political climate, the, um, you know, their doctor's availability or unavailability or, or having another family member available to watch a child like there's so many aspects to what makes um a family feel i don't like to word, use the word successful again i love that you're saying we need new language around this because but what makes them feel like they can function and i think that's something that people they don't if you don't and not that everyone needs to be a doctor or a social worker but if you if you can't hone in on people's lives and see these experiences like you said where they want these your clients these, or your patients they want to do these things that you're suggesting with their kid but they also can't not go to work or else they're not going to eat and they can't not go to work or they're going to get fired and then that just becomes a whole nother thing and so it's uh, you know I want to go back to what you said about language like how do we help shine a light on other people's experiences how do we um because Nobody wants, you know, families to fail, but everybody kind of looks through their own lens, their own glasses about, well, I do this or I do this, but this is not the reality of most families. Absolutely. And before I jump in, I have to tell you, I love that you're a social worker. Thank My you. mom is a social worker. You. Yoli, who partners with us, is a social worker. And believe it or not, I'm giving a commencement of dress at USC School of Social Work this Friday. Mm -hmm. So Wonderful. social work, I feel like social workers, I mean, forgive me, Todd, are like the change agents of this country. They are the reason that we have so many of the societal supports that we have that haven't been rolled back yet. Yes. Um, so yes, thank you. I really, um, so it's a privilege. With that being said, you know, in some ways, this book came from that that idea of that you mentioned, you know, the fact that so often as parents, we don't look to the left and right and see an ally or see another person who wants the same that we want, right? I've spent hundreds of hours talking to parents, as I know you all have, and 
what is a common theme in addition to almost everyone struggling was this universal love for their children and only wanting their children to get the best possible first start. And so I intentionally told the stories of not just the families that, that we work with from low-income backgrounds around Chicago, but you know, from all education, racial backgrounds, political, even, you know, political, religious backgrounds, because we've sort of set up this idea that we all want different things. You know, there are many ways to parent children, right? Mm -hmm. um, and have six and successfully raise a child. There's only one way to build a child's brain. And there's really, you know, it, but at the same time, how do we get this empathy across these divides? Because we have, we have convinced ourselves that, you know, these other identities trump the fact that we all love our children and want the best. And if we could center on that, what a different world. And, you know, a lot of the work we're doing, you know, with, with uh, my colleagues at Parent Nation and around the country is trying to build this idea of a collective identity. Mm -hmm. You know, right now we don't look at to the left and right and see another parent, we see them from another identity. And if we could start looking at each other as allies and build this idea of a co collective identity where, you know, this idea of loving our children, whether or not you're a biologic parent or a caregiver or anyone, um, trumps all and sort of push our society towards that universal where we're actually aligning what we say with what we do, that children are, it sounds like such a ridiculous platitude, but children are our future. And, and you know, the well-being, you know, the success of our children hinges on the support for their parents and caregivers. Mm -hmm. And unless we get it right, um, we're going to be in another 50 years talking about the same, the same thing. thing. So. so Dana, I was um, listening on my podcast this morning to 60 Minutes and 60 Minutes did a little blur, it was the third of the show and it was about the epidemic of mental wellness amongst our children. And they talked specifically about the systems and the systems are broken. And I, I, I guess I want you to speak about the system and maybe through this very specific lens that I'm bringing up. And like, you know, there's, say there's a mom or a dad and they have a nine-year-old or a 12-year-old who is talking about suicidal ideation. So they bring them into the emergency room. The ER is not really equipped to deal with that type of thing. Um, and then the parents will get on the phone and try to find a therapist or a psychiatrist. And the wait list is, you know, you have to wait two months to get somebody in. Meanwhile, your kid is talking about threatening their own lives. Um, I assume, because what's cool about your book, from what I'm understanding, is most books are written with the individual in mind. And I think, and tell me if I'm wrong, that this book is written not just for the individual, but like, let's shift the entire pool that we're swimming in. Because the pool that we're swimming in is murky or broken or something like that. So I just want to hear how that lands with you. You know what? You are right on. This is, And this is what makes it a harder book. It really is about rethinking our societal structures and systems to better support children and families. You know, the mental health system, which you can't even call it a system. We have just, you know, in the same way as early childhood, we just have not invested. Why? Because it is a preventative system, mm -hmm. right? It's hard to point out to all those children you've, you know, impacted or saved because it's prevention, right? And now we are paying the price. Our children are paying the price. Um, and, you know, this, I'm sadly very, very aware, you know, uh, about how tragic, how bad it is out there, mm -hmm. right? And um, we need to start rethinking, you know, I have a whole chapter, you know, Todd, when you read, read it, um, <laughs> on the importance of the healthcare system in impacting, uh, you know, parents and children. And, you know, the mental health system is obvious. It wasn't a huge part of the discussion, although the mental health of, parents, especially mothers should, you know, mm -hmm. deserve some discussion as well. We are just not supporting people in the way that they need. And um, yeah, things are going to have to change. Mm -hmm. And the, not now when, right? Yeah. I mean, seriously. Right. Like that's one of the reasons I was, I was, you know, saying to you, Dana, like right when we started, I, I can't remember if we were recording it, but why 
your book made me feel so much better because a lot of work that I do is so individual. If it be within my own family, or I'm working with one family and, you know, and Todd and I are talking to the collective, but really we're talking to the individual, right? You know, like it's, and when I, when I read what you write about, like I wrote down collective identity. I love that language. It, it, um, taking like a side note here, I was thinking about how during the pandemic, when Adam Grant was able to come up and tell us the word languishing, that that's the thing that we're feeling. I don't know if you remember that article, but he's like, what you're feeling is languishing. And we were like, oh, a word to describe what we feel. And therefore we look at each other. Are you languishing? Because you don't want to say I'm in a clinical depression, but you're not feeling great. And so like collective identity it kind of cuts through all that politics and and everything because we're all turned against each other. You know, we're all like looking at each other and blaming each other. And we, what if we like all, we're like, oh no, no, we're all parents. We all love kids. Let's turn toward who's making the decisions and who's choosing how to, you know, yeah. put this money and this budget together and saying, hey, we're all for family values, but there's absolutely not even close to enough money in family values. Like, not that I want to get you on on budget stuff here, Dana, but can you kind of give us an idea of what our country invests in in families yeah. versus other countries? Absolutely, absolutely. And before, I just want to mention that feeling, the best antidote to this feeling of languishing, at least deep in my personal experience, is this larger purpose yeah. that we can together push forward. Because what I think has happened to parents and all of us is we feel completely without any power, without any locus of control. And you all know what happens mm -hmm. with that. And when we can turn it around is when we start feeling powerful. And I'll tell you a story of another group who did that before, but talking about our lack of, of investment. I mean, let, let me start off by saying the, the research is quite clear. Investing in early childhood is not just the best investment, it's a negative, my, my husband who's an economist called it, it's a negative cost. For mm -hmm. every dollar we invest in early childhood, you get, you know, a Nobel laureate, uh, Jim Heckman said, you get $12 in return. Wow. This this child credit that, that was there and just now taken away that I can tell you more about, that had $10 return on investment for every dollar invested. We just... We want things right now. It's the long-term game that we get. Mm -hmm. But let me tell you how this country sort of stacks up. And I know we hear it over and over again, but we not only do we not have paid leave, federally mandated paid leave, which 38 other developed nations have, right? I mean, what does that say about really what we care about, okay. right? That one in four mothers go back to work after two weeks of giving birth, like seriously, but in any other realm, I mean, in, in investing in childcare, right? The average for developed nations, the average, I'm not talking about Norway and those places that are $29,000 per year per child. Wow. The average is 14, about $14,000 per child per year. Our country, $500 per year per child. I mean, the, the difference, we, we, despite our country having literally the largest GDP, we, we even dwarf China, for goodness sakes, we, we invest this much mm -hmm. um, because we have, it's a combination of this, you know, this idea of American individualism, but I don't really think it's that. I think that we just don't want to spend the money. Mm -hmm. We are, you know, trust me, the elderly probably wouldn't get the support they they have today if they didn't have the AARP and a united front talking for them. You know, we talk about all this cultural stuff. No, I think people just don't want to invest back into to children and families. So yeah, and um I love the fact that your husband's an economist. I, 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 it makes sense to me when, you know, Kathy's in charge of the, the warm and fuzzy and she also is research-based too, but I love when you bring numbers to it. And, um, you know, I'm trying to picture an argument that I would have with somebody who I would disagree with and they would be like, well, we just don't have the money for that yet. We spend X amount of dollars, you know, I don't even want to talk about Afghanistan, but the amount of money that we spend that talk about a negative cost, it was just an un, in my judgment, an unbelievable waste of money for us to do whatever it is that we tried to do over there. And it's just, it's not about, we don't have the money. It's our priorities are completely out of whack. Would you agree with that? I, I think that 
Absolutely. We don't, we don't, we have the scientific case. We've got the economic case. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, businesses are hurting, right? This big sea shit. I can't even say it. The great resignation, mm-hmm. which were primarily led by women. We've got every case in the book. What we don't have is the public and political will. Mm-hmm. People are all feeling it, but we just haven't, it's spread out. There's no unified voice pushing for it, mm-hmm. which is what needs to happen mm-hmm. in change. Mm-hmm. I know. And I, I, I'm just like listening to our conversation. I didn't think I was going to go here, but it kind of, it stresses me out because, okay, I'll just tell you this. I work with women and I work with girls. I have my whole life. That's been my focus as a, as a clinician, as a social worker. Todd works with men. He runs a men's organization. So you can imagine we have really incredible conversations over here. (laughs) Um, We are raising three daughters who are all teenagers right now. And when I hear this conversation, I my heart starts to beat fast because I feel like the and, and this is not gonna be any shock, but it's a dumping on women. <laughs> like I I'm I feel like I know there are and the reason I brought up about Todd being in charge of this men's group is I know men have come to the table more when it comes to not only just childcare but emotional labor. I see the changes. I see that we are becoming as if there is a partnership, you know, a male-female partnership, I see some changes, but I also feel like there's this expectation of women to handle everything. And, you know, and I, and there's this like, oh, they'll do it because they always do because we always do, but that doesn't mean we're okay. Like, and it doesn't mean that it can actually get done. It's just kind of like a, so can you speak to the, the women issue here about like, what is your perspective on this? Mm Yeah, no, you know, I hear and see exactly what you say and many different levels. I mean, and look, I was, I'll tell you, you know, I'm a female surgeon, yes. you know, we're tough. I mean, you know, try standing up to a woman with a scalpel <laughs> and my late, my, my late husband, this is a terrible, but I'll, since you went there, I, I always joke, my late husband, who is amazing, uh, who was a pediatric surgeon, uh, died saving two children in Lake Michigan. Mm-hmm. And my world, you know, obviously crumbled, but I often joke in this, I shouldn't joke, but I always say, you know, everything was so scary, except for running of the house, because he had never done any of it anyway. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Is that terrible? But with that being said, I want to say not just positive. This is not about the truth is, is that that is why like paid parental leave occurring and men actually engaging in it. There's so much great research that gender equity at home, you know, is advanced significantly. There's, you know, greater connections with, you know, their children. I mean, so look, we need to keep pushing forward. There was a reason that I didn't call this mom nation, right? right? Because, right. I, men, you know, 83%, there's data showing that 83% of men want to be more involved. That sometimes with, I mean, I don't know if you've seen, but even like these tech companies that have great parental leave for both men and women, men feel stigmatized taking it, right? There there was that, that venture capitalist who said, you know, men, if they took that much time, they'd be, quote, losers. Like, seriously, like, let's, you know, we can push forward this narrative change. It's not, you know, I. everybody has a choice in how they raise their children. I mean, I always joke, like, if you had me as a mother, like, my children were pretty independent because they knew that I wasn't going to go and make their breakfast in the morning. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I was good in other ways, mm-hmm. but, um, but it's true. We do, you know. Well, this is so layered um, because you talked about how, <laughs> how the, um, you know, the guys are unwilling to take the paternity leave because their value, they've been lied to since they were two years old and says the only way that you show up to be a man is if you provide money for your family. And we're trying to peel back that onion one man at a time and we are making progress. The problem is if we wait on this trajectory, it'll take us almost forever to get there. Because I hear so many guys be like, yeah, but it's gotten better because of blah, blah, blah. Or yeah, but it's getting, but now it's this way instead of that way. Yes, and the trajectory is just not a very steep incline. And what and what I love about what you're trying to do, because I, I think a lot of in your book is about policy shifts. And this is like a moonshot. I feel like you're like going for the moon and it's mm, such... I like that, moonshot. It's such a <laughs> huge 
endeavor and it's so layered and it's so easy to get like depressed and lethargic, like how are we ever going to change this? But I'm just glad that there's a voice out there that you're doing, uh, that you're, you are, you're giving some voice to some of these things. And, you know, one book is not going to do it and one author is not going to do it, but hopefully this is something that will start to build on itself. So there's no question in there. I just needed well, to say and that. Todd, can I ask you this since, yeah. you know, Dana and I are here to have with you is that, that it, this is like that, you know, men do want to be more involved in, in being at home and they do want to, and they already are like, I, you know, I talk with all of mm-hmm. your friends in the, you know, men's group too. It's just like, do they like, what are they seeing all of these aspects of like, it, because a lot of it, there's a focus on politics with, you know, financial mm-hmm. um, stability and all these other things, but do they see all these pieces? That yes. Come together? And we're swimming upstream. We've been conditioned since we show it up that this is what it means to be a man. So although we see it, there's still this stigma against us being vulnerable, us being like, yeah, I'm going to take three weeks. When I, when my oldest daughter was born, the next day I was working. Like if my daughter was born today, I'd be like, <laughs> screw that. Not great. I'm not going to work for however long I can get away with. Cause I, I almost pulled up some Joe Rogan clips and Joe Rogan is such a contra- controversial figure. And he has so many different takes on so many different things. But he he said something that I would not agree with about, you know, the you know, the female gives birth and then the guy has to go back to work because what purpose does the guy serve because the mom's there? Like, no, your job, if nothing else, because it's true, when your infant is born, they're much more attached to their mom, like physically and maybe emotionally. Yeah. But my job if I could go back and do having an infant again, I would just like shower Kathy with whatever thing, whatever she needed. Because my job is to make her life as easy as possible because it just got really, really difficult. Um, so go ahead. No, 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 no. I'm totally hearing this. And I'm also thinking, you know, look, this is about the societal shifts, the policy shifts, the norm shifts. And I just think, look, in some way, when we really, you know, when you get the paid leave, when you get the high quality childcare, the child credit, when we make, I don't think we realize how hard we've made raising children in this country. We just, it just is. I mean, you just accept accept that that's the way it is. It is so different in any other country. I mean, dramatically. Um, and there's not, you know, maternal guilt, you know, parent guilt is a, a uniquely U.S. Uh, issue. And I can tell you about the science about that. But I just wonder if we make society more supportive that some of, you know, then we be like, yes, I want to be part of it, right? Because we've just made it so hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we need the shifts at home. Absolutely. We need men shifts so that they can, it's so fun. I mean, let's face it. I mean, you know, we're, you, you, you can't nurse, but, you know, being with a, you know, with your child is not just wonderful for the child and for you and for their brain development, because I can tell you about that science, but for your relationship mm-hmm. with your spouse, if you're in a, you know, a, a married a situation or a partnered situation, but, um, but we need to change the societal stuff. Um, well, and, and this is, and the society, like I, I judge that we're not very good at it in this country. You know, this documentary is so old, but the race to nowhere, I don't know if you ever saw that documentary. It's just about how we're always racing to the next thing and there's no time for pause or anything else. <laughs> and our and, version of success. Is, yeah. And like the know, mental yeah. health <laughs> crisis, like we, like, I'm sure that there's data to back up the fact that we are not very good at raising children in this country. I don't, I don't know that to be true, but I'm guessing if you look at the amount of emergency rooms, the amount of mental health crisis the amount of kids that are harming themselves, like whatever metric you want to use. I'm guessing, comparatively speaking, we're, we're simply not that good at it. I don't know if that's true, but. Well, you see, look, 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 you know, we, you just did. I mean, no, I mean, obviously parenting is critical, but I would actually zoom out. And I think we've made the societal structures so bad, so much uncertainty, our response to code. I mean, at so many levels, yeah, at the individual level, but this is, you can't tell me that this epidemic is that all of a sudden all these parents got not so great at parenting. Right. Mm-hmm. Eh. I really think that from a societal standpoint and the uncertainty, I mean, it is it is hard out there. And 
parents are struggling, mothers are struggling. Um, I think it's a, that larger symptom. So mm-hmm. um, I love, thank you, Dana, for doing that. Cause exactly what Todd said, I'm very used to hearing it. I'm very used to saying things like that. But what Dana's pointing out is we say, we're not good at raising kids and we're not focusing on, it is almost impossible to raise kids within this structure and expect um good positive outcomes like we're like so in our own bubble right it's it's exactly true i mean it's sort of like the obesity crisis like you know you've got trans fat you have you know right now we've got social media all of a sudden you know the pandemic, the escalation of drug. I mean, there are so many things that are playing into it. I mean, I don't, this is not my area of mm-hmm. expertise, so I won't um, go there, but it's, it, there's something else. I know. So um, we're Dana, being bombarded. Dana, if I was listening to this podcast, I'd be like this. Uh, I, I, I can picture our listeners being like, yes, yes, yes. What, if, if your book lands the way you want it to and the shifts that you want to happen, happen, what are some of those shifts? Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, I know it's a long game and this is, I am just one with, you know, Heidi and Yoli and Liz and all my own team and people across the country working on this. So I want to just make that clear, but what are the shifts that, that all of a sudden we will look back 20 years from now and say, Oh my gosh, how did we not have paid parental leave and one in four moms went back to work after two weeks? Wait, how, are you telling me that people used to spend, you know, the the amount of a mortgage or college tuition to send their children to a high quality childcare? Wait, wait, wait. We had more child poverty than any other developed nation, despite being the richest nation in the world. I want us to look back and say, wow, sort of like, how are we gaslit? Sort of like mm-hmm. now we look back at cigarettes, mm-hmm. right? There was a time in when big tobacco had doctors like me, ENT saying, I take my cigarette to calm myself down and my patients as well. Like now we look back and say, what, Mm -hmm. you know, I, you know, I can tell you the shifts. I want that shift because it, that those things will be dramatic changes Mm -hmm. that all of a sudden, I mean, I can tell you the more kumbaya that, you know, we all now see parents value their labor and love and say, wow, thank you for raising the next generation of doctors, lawyers, podcasters, bus bus drivers, because I know with this fertility crisis that was looming, you know, 30 years ago that, you know, if we hadn't done something and changed it dramatically, so it was more hospitable for people to have children that, you know, I know that now as an old person, I would be in a shrinking economy and nobody paying into social security. I mean, like there are so many reasons that we should be doing this beyond that. It's the right thing. Yeah. And I want, I want parents to feel better. You know, I want them to give themselves grace and say, you know what, this is not me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To wake up, like there's so many days I wake up and I'm so frustrated and I feel like I'm not doing enough and I should have been doing this and I should have been doing this. And this is just me personally in my home. It's not even as a clinician, like that's enough, that's a whole nother world of like <laughs> challenge, right? Like I'm, you know, I should be helping them more and I should have said the right thing. Um, and sometimes, you know, then I'll be just with my kid or taking a walk and I'm like, I just want to enjoy this time with this human and like be with them and, and, and nurture them as a human being. I don't want to be so focused on how to keep the wheels from coming off all the time and, and not be, and again, this is the key that you're getting to and not be so self-blaming about it because that just keeps us in that cycle of if I was just better. And that's always my nervousness about what I write about or what Todd and I talk about on this show is a lot of people, if they hear it, you know, you and I were talking about nuance and sound bites. If they hear the message that we're trying to share on Zen parenting, they can really internalize it and think, I'm just not doing, I'm just not a Zen parent. And oh my God, that's not what Zen means. Zen is looking at the reality and the wider perspective and the truth of the moment, which a lot of the truth is, is you are, you are being, we are being turned against each other in some ways where we, it's, it's so difficult to see out and just not being so self-blaming. So, you know, is that kind of, is that your message too? Like, this is not us. Yeah, absolutely. It's not just my message. There's so much, I mean, 
again, research. because, you know, I'm the data, the data nerd. I mean, there's so much science. I mean, Jennifer Glass and her colleague, she's a, a sociology professor at UT, I think. She looked at something called the parent, talking about parent happiness, the parent mm-hmm. happiness gap. I mean, you probably know yeah. that in general, in developed nations, parents are less happy than yeah. non-parents. It's hard to raise kids. I mean, mm-hmm. raising a human is no easy task. But what she did was she looked at countries across the world and looked at the relationship between happiness and family sent family uh, friendly policies, you know, child care, paid leave, child credits. And basically what she found was the strong relationship between more supports and a smaller happiness gap. Mm-hmm. And you can I want you to guess. I mean, this is going to be an e- a gimme, Todd. Mm-hmm. Which country had the biggest happiness gap where the parents were so much less happy than the non-parents, which, 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 which was the worst, Todd? It's got to be us. Yep. We, we are the leaders in making parents feel so much worse than non-parents. And I can totally, you know, identify Kathy with that feeling of, gosh, you want your listeners not to take this as one more individual onus on their shoulders. Because with my first book, 30 Million Words, which really looked at how the brain science can inform what we do at the individual level for building a child's brain, but really in my heart of hearts, because I'm a daughter of a social worker, Kathy, Mm -hmm. that I wrote it because I thought, gosh, if people can understand this powerful science that inspired a surgeon to, you know, walk outside the operating room, well, certainly we would start providing better societal structures for the children's first and most important brain architects. But that's not what happened. What happened was parents started, I mean, and let me tell you this, that first book, like it sold itself. People were like, oh my gosh, yeah, let me buy it. Um, sorry, can you hear me still? Yeah. Uh, let me let me get this so that I can help give my child the best chance. Rather, and it like in some places, I I want I worry that it increased angst because that wasn't the point. I mean, look, parents are their children's first and most important brain builders, absolutely. But seeing how our society impacts that, I think, is so critical. Mm-hmm. I know. I, I like, I have all these like things I want to ask you even about like your first, you know, the, you know, like the three, I I wrote something down about the three T's. Like I'm going into details here because this is about your first book, but I feel like the people who listen to our show who have young kids, because you keep talking about this science from your first book, what is it that you do want them to know? Again, not in a way where it's all on their backs, but like, what can they do with these young kids that is helpful to their brains. Absolutely. And I'm going to share what we share at the center, which is really the science boiled down to what how parents and caregivers can build their child's brains. And it's actually the framework for my first book and my second book. Mm-hmm. Um, but before I tell you that, I want them first to give themselves grace. Mm-hmm. There is something I really believe in good enough parenting. Trust me. I think I was a good enough parent, sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is so important. But to build a child's brain, it's pretty it's pretty simple. I know that sounds crazy. We call it the three T's. Tuning in, talking more, and taking turns. Tuning in to your child. It really goes to your mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Following your child's lead. Seeing what your child's interested in. Getting on your child's level. Then talking about it. Using rich language. Talking about the past, the future, and the present. And lastly, taking turns, really engaging your baby or your child, even before they can talk in that conversation. Because when your child points or looks at you or babbles, that's a conversation and really engage them in that conversation. And those three T's, tuning in, talking more, taking turns are the pathway for you building your child's brain. And more importantly, the pathway for society understanding how to best support you so you can build your child's brain. Absolutely. And how we engage in that communication. And even though what you're talking about is very, it's, it's you know, it's neurobiology. It's literally how they build their brain. Like you said that. Yeah. Those three T's, they apply, you know, through, it, they kind of shift and move as far as maybe I think when our kids are teenagers, we listen even more, um, you know, yes. and allow them to <laughs> communicate even more. So they may ebb and flow a little bit, but really this, what you're talking about is connection, you know, if it be brain connection or just, you know, relationship that, you know, connection and, and the overall big picture of your book is us all connecting to each other around this, 
um, this desire that we all share. Like we have been so, it get, like you said, things get so cliche where you're like, we've been so divided by politics, but we have, we have turned against each other and we have forgotten all these things that we share. And that, and that is where this, that is where this lies. This is the be, that's the beginning of this change is I just, I get this visual of us all like, we're all fighting each other and turning around and looking and going, wait a second, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. This doesn't work. So Dana, we have, you know, we, Todd and I have kind of been all over the place with you, but as far as the message of your book or, or your work now, or what we can do next, what have we missed in this conversation? Like what's something that, that maybe we haven't shared that you want to make sure you say? Yeah. So, you know, the book and the ideas are really about not just, you know, that parents shouldn't expect to go it alone and that society can and should play a role in supporting them. Um, but, you know, really my dream is that these ideas manifest in the world. Um, and as we know, right, um, books are only one part of it. And we've built out this amazing website with my, my colleagues, um, you know, including Heidi and Yoli, it's parentnation.org. I would love everyone to go to parentnation.org. We have built out free downloadable resources to put these ideas into action. It's not one more onus uh, on your shoulders, but a way to bring people together, whether it be in your community, your relatives, your um Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I just put um, it up on the, if you're watching this, I just put up her website. I'm just interested to see what it says. Yeah. So keep, and if you going. go, if you go into the, you know, get involved on the, oh, you can go down and you can see what a parent nation is about, you know, what, what it stands for. And oh, stop right there because really, yeah, go down. Yeah. Perfect. Right there. Really what, you know, we want groups to come together to push forward change in their own communities, but really to, you know, we had the three T's for building your child's brain. I want the three F's in this world for us to start fostering community, to forge collective identity and fight for change, mm. because that is how we're going to not only start feeling powerful and seeing where our important places in this country, but it'll start shifting the, the needle. So whether or not you're in a business or in a library or, you know, just with your, your brothers and sisters coming together and we've got, if you get involved, we actually, I think it's already up, go on to the up in the right top. Yeah. Um, and then scroll down a little bit. We've actually created, uh, oh, you're going to love this. Go down a little bit further. Keep going. So we, we have toolkits to help you. It's in English and Spanish to bring people together. It's amazing, right? Mm. It really shifts how you feel um, with your group, you know, trying to shift it from like self-blame to constructive problem solving. So really look at those and then go down a little bit further. This is what I'm really excited. There's this thing called the big shift tool that if your groups go through it, where it's, I don't want to say it. it's like a quiz that allows you to see how much is on your shoulders today hmm. going through these different scenarios, whether it be issues of affordable childcare, flexible schedules to really visualize just how much is on your shoulders. And then we give you a magic wand, which I think is important for, for shifting your own brain, a magic wand to reimagine what our society does to better support you. And you get that visual and then it, it really gets, I think it sort of activates you it, when you come together. So these are just some of the really neat things that are on there, you know, the, the book is, are the ideas, you know, you hope books can shift how, we, how we, the discussion in the country, but at the end of the day, I want discussion and action. I'm a surgeon after all, right? Yes. You're like, make it. And I, though, I got goosebumps at those three F's because that's the form, like we need, we need a structure. We need new language. We need like, what are we focused on? We, we need something to turn toward. And I'm so grateful and appreciative that you have that because I am going to, and I will give you full credit, but I'm oh, going please. to take that language and be yes. like, this is where we need to go. These three things. No, no, no Kathy, take it. <laughs> this, is, this is, there's no, there, there is no proprietary. This is about changing the world. Like all this stuff on there, it puts Zen parenting all over it. I mean, really it is literally what I, what I want to see. Like 
take the three, I, I joke that the three T's are not only good for a child's brain, it's good for marriage counseling, it's yes. good for talking to your elderly parent, it's anything, right? That's, it's the foundation of human connection. Yes. But those three F's, it's how we're going to feel empowered, it's how we're going to come together and change. Please, mm. I beg of you, it would be the greatest gift. Mm. Oh, <laughs> if you, that's uh... great. It, well, it, it so. literally takes, like, I feel my shoulders go back, like I'm not alone. I can feel like them go down. And and I will say one of the things that made me very happy is two or three days ago, I was on social networking and I saw that that this book, Parent Nation, is on the New York Times bestseller list, <laughs> which gives me a I, lot of hope because that's oh, huge, <laughs> right? So I hope, I mean, I hope... I hope it's a, you know, a signal that, you know, we are really talking in this issue is elevating beyond our echo chamber of Mm -hmm. people who care about who have already said we want change, right? That's, we need it outside the echo chamber. And I think it's starting. So me too. Well, consider us part of the team. Um, We'll be spreading the word. And obviously, like I said, I'm going to really focus in on those three F's, not just for like the community building that Tad and I do, but just for myself, like remembering that I'm not alone, because that's really been, you know, I'm getting really personal and individual, but that's been my struggle this week is so I just thank you for the book the platform, the messaging, the language, and we've got, you know, we support you in every way. So you just let us know what we can do. The name of the book is Parent Nation, Unlocking Every Child's Potential, Fulfilling Society's Promise. Uh, Sorry. Yeah, that's it. Fulfilling Society's Promise. I had something blocked off on my screen. Um, and the, the website, which seems like has a lot of cool tools, which I dig is parentnation.org. Um, Dana, I'm so glad that you joined us and, um, we're happy to have you back at some point. I know that you're probably, you're spinning because you're in the middle of a book tour and I can only imagine what that's like, but, um, you know, you have two big fans over here at Zen Parenting and we'd love to have you back at some point. Thank you. This has been way too much fun. So I've had a, I've had a wonderful time. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Dana Suskin. So we will see everybody next week in, on the next, next episode of Zen Parenting Radio. Keep trucking, everybody. Adios. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have appreciated or enjoyed a decade of Zen Parenting Radio podcasts, please tell a friend or leave a five-star review. We are always grateful for your support. If you want more Zen Parenting, consider joining Team Zen pre-ordering Kathy's Zen Parenting book or subscribing to Zen Parenting Moment. You can find these opportunities and more at zenparentingradio.com. If you want to connect through social networking, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Keep trucking, and we will talk to you again next week.